Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Danny is a properly... Wait, let me do that again. (laughs) He's a properly, properly... He's proper no (laughs) tea. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast, long-awaited return of something you've not heard since 2017. That's true. Um, Fucking hell, it's, it was last year. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm Steve Norman, joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Paul Field. Good evening, fellas. It's great to be back. As we uh, celebrate the Oscars. We're not going to talk about this year's Oscars, really. What we're going to do is a hastily arranged triple bill of, well, basically three films that didn't pick up Oscar nominations that we think should have done. Yeah. As well as a, as a quiz. <laughs> mm. Not a new quiz. <laughs> so, no. diehard fans of failed critics who listened way back in August 2015 will recognise this quiz because that's when it was last... Uh, aired kind of a tenuous link as paul pointed out just before we pressed rec- i mean literally like seconds before we pressed record um because danny dyer his film wasp his short film mm. wasp was nominated for an oscar way back when i think it won i won even so, yeah 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 danny dyer is an oscar winner um mm. a, well a the director that, uh, but... uh <laughs> but you know he was in a film that won an oscar um and at the this this year's Oscar ceremony, somebody who was in Hollyoaks picked up an Oscar for a short film. So I mean, there's still hope for um for Gary Lucy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, so this this is an old quiz. I li- I just searched for quiz in my inbox and found an old one. I thought we'd do it. Um partly as well, because we every time Paul's on, we end up talking about Danny Dyer, so we might as well just Get it out, Get of, the it out of the way, yeah. yeah. Okay, so it is going to be Steve versus Paul. Uh, fastest finger first. Shout out your name. Do you remember when we used to do that? Oh, nostalgia. Oh. Shout out your name and I'll come to you first. Um, and there are five questions. First question. In The Football Factory, Danny Dyer's Chelsea fan character, Tommy says that rather than go and spunk his wages on kebabs, fruit machines and brasses, he knows what else he's going to do. What is it? Oh, I think I was... Was I on when you asked this last time? Because I didn't know then either. I would imagine so, yeah. Do you know, Steve? Something to do with fucking Millwall, probably. Mm, close. West Ham. No. Smash up some cunts down Millwall. <laughs> no. I, I haven't got a clue. See, it's nice because we're not allowed to swear on set the tape. Yeah, it's all clean. Women's yeah. Hair. yeah. can say what I fucking want on it. It's Tottenham, oh, Tottenham away. Tottenham away. That's what he says he's going to do. 
Tottenham away. Nil point. I mean, that, he wouldn't want to do that now with Pochettino's Tottenham in there, in moving into their new stadium. Mm. I mean, yeah. Question two. Which could you imagine it now having you know like Arsenal fan TV in the football factory? <laughs> yeah, Pat Nevin for Chelsea commentating, getting smashed yeah. by a pint flown at him. <laughs> Question two: Which film that Danny Dyer starred in currently, currently that's August twenty fifteen, is his highest rated on Rotten Tomatoes? Mm. Paul. Paul. Severance. It is Severance. Yes. yes, point on the board. 65% it had in August 2015. Great film. Yeah, then Human Traffic was next, and then The Business, and then Doghouse, apparently. Can't imagine that's changed. Does he released any films since since 2015 that are likely to have overtaken that? Yes, it when was. When was Run For Your Wife? That was... That was 2014, <laughs> yeah. And it's not challenging that. <laughs> it's not going to challenge Severance, no. Right, question three. According to Wikipedia, what is Danny Dyer's occupation? Oh, Steve. I think I remember this. Steve went first, yeah, Steve. Geezer. It's not geezer, Paul. Is it? Is it actor and football chairman? I'll give you that, yeah. Actor and former football team chairman. If I, go and edit, if I go and edit it now. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like I say, this is August 2015, so it could, it could well have changed. Question four. Which Grand Theft Auto game or games did Danny Dyer appear in? Steve. Steve. Vice City and San Andreas. Correct. Yes. Pulled one back. If you were going to get a point, it was going to be for that one, wasn't it? That question. Yeah. All right, question five. Final question. Danny is a popular presence on Twitter with 1.09 million followers. But how many accounts does Danny Dyer follow himself? Paul. Paul. 900. No, it's lower than that. Steve. Steve. 12. It's higher than that. Your turn, Paul. 750. Lower than that, Steve? 18. <laughs> Higher than that, Paul? Uh, 500. Exactly. 500, exactly. Yes. On the 25th of August, 2015, Danny Dyer followed 500 people on Twitter, one of whom was Fail Critics. So, there you go. The, the, it's the only way I'm ever going to win a quiz is A, to, for, for one we've done previously, and B, <laughs> for it to be on Danny Dyer. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. I hope the listeners enjoyed reminiscing down memory lane as we did that quiz. Yeah, mm. uh, I certainly did. Time now for what we've been watching where we take a look at some of the films we've seen uh, or TV shows we've seen recently. Paul, why don't you start us off? Well, I um, I actually watched this a little while ago, but it's, it's, it's stuck with me for ages and I thought I'd... Um, a perfect opportunity to talk about it. It's called, uh, it's got two titles on IMDb. It's called Two Pigeons, but also goes under the name Freehold. Um, and have either of you seen this? Uh, I'm guessing not. It's ringing a bell, Freehold. Why do I know Freehold? If you've seen it, when I describe what it's about, you'll know straight away whether you've seen it or not. It's about a really sleazy estate agent 
who he doesn't even realise what he's done, but he stitches this guy up, and and it means that he um, the property he's going to move in to with his wife, etc., all goes tits, and he basically breaks into this guy's flat. He he moves in effectively, living behind his wardrobe secretly, and then messes with his life. Right, and the, it's just it's really strange. It's really unsettling, dark, very very funny because obviously the stuff he does to him. Is you know like putting bleach in his shampoo, sticking his toothbrush up his ass. When you know every time he goes out to work, he just causes mayhem and mischief mm-hmm. around this guy's flat, and he can't work out what the hell's going on. But this guy's literally living behind his wardrobe in a secret compartment. <laughs> but the the the, um, the the guy, the actor who plays the sort of the intruder, Javier Botet, I think his name is. He is the weirdest looking guy. He's really tall, thin, gangly. It's almost like, almost like Gollum. He's not his mannerisms. What was he's in? Um, oh, I know his name. I just this is the most frustrating film you've reviewed ever because I keep hear I hear the name Freehold and it's like, why do I know that? Maybe Javier Botet. What was fucking hell? He's, what was he in? He's been in loads of stuff. Yeah. Um, the Slender Man he's going to be in, but he was in, uh, he was a xenomorph in Alien Covenant. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Maybe that's. He was of... in It. Um, might have been It. The Mummy, Don't Knock Twice. Yeah. The Conjuring 2, Crimson Peak, The Revenant. He's just, yeah. when you see him, you'll recognize him. But it, for this role, he must have lost a lot of weight as well. Because for the, pretty much the entire film, he's just wearing this this really dirty pair of pants. That's it. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I, I think the guy who directed it, um, what was his name? Dominic Bridges. Mm-hmm. It's, his, it's his first feature and it, and it's really short as well. It's only like an hour and 20 minutes. And it, and obviously the longer it goes on, the more freaky and weird, the stuff that this guy does to this estate agent becomes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if you, it, you know, it's, it's a small British film, but it's really clever, really inventive, really sick and twisted, but not disgustingly gross. And um, I can heartily recommend it. Um, it's on Amazon Prime, Google Play, etc. Well, yeah, I'll definitely check it out. I can't remember where I put Maybe it was you. Maybe you've told me about it before, and that's where it came from. But um, I don't know. I'm sure it's already down on a watch list of mine somewhere. Okay. And Owen, what have you been watching of late? Well, with um, the Cloverfield Paradox uh, appearing on Netflix, which have you guys, I know you watched it, Steve, because we've talked about it elsewhere on Set the Tape, but Paul, did you watch Cloverfield Paradox? I did, yeah, I liked it. Oh, good, because I kind of liked it as well. I thought it was just dumb and fun, is all, all I thought. But anyway, so yeah, so as well as watching that, I went back and watched 10 Cloverfield Lane um, again, because... Uh, my other half had not seen it before. She didn't want to go to the cinema to watch it because she thought it'd be scary. And, you know, I don't think it is scary. But what what 10 Cloverfield Lane is, is the best of the Cloverfield films so far. By, like, a distance that's not even funny. Because it's just a great, really, like, gripping, absorbing drama. As well as being just, like, full of great performances. John Goodman in it is... Brilliant. I really like Mary Elizabeth uh, Winstead and stuff that I've seen her in. I think this is possibly the best performance of hers that I've seen as the uh, woman who's trapped in an underground bunker 
by the ginormous, just like I don't I don't know whether they do something to John Goodman for films to make him look even bigger than he probably is, but he looks fucking big in this. Um, but yeah, being sort of kind of intimidating and weird and right wing conspiracy American nutter uh, who's holding her hostage. As outside is the apocalypse, um, or is it? Is that is that what's going on? Is it the end of the world? Or yeah, I just think it's a brilliant way that, that it kind of drip feeds all this uh, this information. It kind of takes you on this path, and um, I don't think it's that predictable. Actually, I think there are things in it that you can pick up on on a rewatch. But the first time around, I don't remember being like I don't remember getting to the end of Clover, 10 Cloverfield Lane and thinking yeah that was all pretty expected I think it it has a lot of unexpected twists to it um yeah I mean have you guys seen 10 Cloverfield Lane what do, what do you well, think of it yeah I, I've got a confession that I switched it off about a third of the way through so I might have to go and revisit it was this another didn't happen Scenario. No, I was just, no. I was just like, I was just bored, and I just, I was really wasn't getting it. Yeah. Um. But I, I'm, I'm definitely going to give it another go. Yeah, I did. I thought, I thought it was great. I think it, I is it was fantastic. Yeah. What, what did you like about it, then, Steve? I just thought it was, it was a bit different. I thought the, the, the two, two leads were really good. I just thought it was quite original, which is a bit of a rarity sometimes in films at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I just thought it was um was um yeah, a really good interesting film. Probably the best of the three Cloverfield films so far. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's in any doubt. I think it it's the best in lots of different ways. It's just like a the first the first Cloverfield I I've watched it about 3 times, I think, 3 or 4 times. It's just never done anything for me. I think because of the really horrible characters that are involved in it. I don't like anybody in it, and I don't necessarily need to like people to like a film, you know. You can have horrible bastard characters and it can still be a really good film. But they're just vacuous and horrible New Yorkers, and I just couldn't stand it. And, you you know, so my expectations were pretty low going into 10 Cloverfield Lane anyway. And for it to do what it did was just outstanding i thought um and for i really just, love the first one Owen. i can't I, I, you can't believe you don't like that i mean i know i should like it really I, I like monster movies i like creature features but um there's just something about it it just rubs me up the wrong way and i like found footage films i like stuff that doesn't show the monster i like stuff that teases you in um and creates this kind of world where it's okay for these monsters to exist because it doesn't necessarily have to be explained just it is and you go with it so i should like cloverfield but i don't i just it just doesn't click with me um yeah unfortunately but i think you know what's great about both of these two that like the first two cloverfield films um like they both have this in common uh is that they they can both work really well as a kind of semi-satire of like american politics of their time and what was a bit surprising about Cloverfield Paradox, I felt, was that it just, it's, not, it's not that at all. Cloverfield Paradox could perfectly be about the Trump administration 
but it isn't. It's just a weirdly unnecessarily complex for something that's actually at the root of it quite simple um, and kind of convoluted B-movie. It's just a space disaster film, that's all I tell you. Yeah, yeah. Anchoring it to Cloverfield was a bit... I could have taken, you know, they could have not done that and I still would have enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't originally, was it? I mean, like 10 Cloverfield Lane, they weren't... Neither of those were originally Cloverfield sequels. They just got kind of absorbed into that that franchise. Um, but, yeah. But, you know, so I've... Consequently, I've liked both sequels to Cloverfield much more than I've liked to the original. So, yeah, but that's what I've been watching lately. Um, I've watched a few other things, but we'll be here all night if we just carry on listing everything we've seen. So, Steve, what have you been watching lately? A lot of rubbish. A lot of rubbish. Good. Um, yeah, just... I've been trying to, again, find some half-decent horror film to watch on Netflix. Not found anything. Their one horror selection is pretty poor, isn't it? One it is. I watched last night was Hashtag Horror. <laughs> and it, but it, it's, it sound, it's got an awful title for what the film is. But basically, it's a load of like teenage girls uh, kind of having a, a, a party around at a parent's house who should be there but isn't. Go and on. It's not, like yes. a, it's not like a typical slasher film. It's, it's meant to be a bit darker than that. And the whole hashtag thing is them putting stuff on social media and everything and just nothing happens <laughs> until right at the end and you just think you're just thinking for the whole time when's something gonna happen mm. like no there's nothing scary happening there's no paranormal <clears throat> element to it there's no murderer about <clears throat> until right at the end you think you think what is going on why you know mm-hmm. the last 10 minutes it's like all oh, right so it's happened now oh, the film's ended so that was um that was just um, a, a waste of time. Uh, I've watched uh, not a horror film, one called The Finest Hour or Finest Hours, which is a film starring uh, Chris Pine, which is um, a basically like a rubbish version of The Perfect Storm, and The Perfect Storm <laughs> wasn't as fantastic as it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's okay, it's watchable, but it's not exactly great. Hmm. Um, then there was Open House, which was another net, which was Netflix original, a horror film again, when nothing happened. That is right one of the, the worst end. films I have ever seen because oh, literally nothing garbage, happened. Isn't it? <laughs> it's absolute garbage. Oh. Is this the one that's been added in the past sort of week or so that no. they said? Like no, a... it's a little bit. It's a little bit older than that, right. but it like nothing happens, and you don't even find out who the killer is, I, what his motives are. Yeah, it's so frustrating. And I, I thought, it can't just be me. So I went on Twitter and I did a search for Open House. Oh, my yeah. God, it's so free. It's the, um, the responses and remarks from people who have seen it are hilarious because everyone fucking hated it. <laughs> it was just abysmal, wasn't it? Yeah, awful. I watched When We First Met, which stars... Adam Devine and Alexandra Daddario. Or Daddario. I love Double D Daddario. Mm. Um, not an issue, won't, because again, it's not a horror <laughs> film, but again, oh. nothing happens. Yeah. Basically, um, the, the the male lead, um, he is at an engagement party for this girl, um, 
and he thinks he should be with her. And he finds back finds out a way that he can go back in time and try and sort out the thing so everything goes his way. It's crap. Nothing happens. It's boring. Nothing. It's rubbish. It it's the worst time travel film ever. Oof. Blimey. I'm probably exaggerating, but it's absolute bilge. Um, <laughs> this is the track. Are you, are you just literally relying on Netflix, Steve? I've been trying to watch Netflix originals to justify how much money I've given them a month. <laughs> um, and it's and yeah, there's just absolute rubbish at the moment. And there's another film which wasn't a Netflix original that I watched. And I can't even remember the name of it. But Dave Bautista, uh, who was a wrestler and now does some acting, was some guy and it was in Boston and there was like some kind of uprising uh, revolution type thing and he had to help some some woman get to safety. Mm-hmm. It was rubbish. You've been picking some rubbish, Steve. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've watched some good films, but they're films that we've all seen and know about and talk about. Like, I, I saw Black Panther, I thought it was great, but we'd be, but that's been done to death. It's probably more fun if I tell you what, what to, not to watch. Yeah. Mm. I can give you a recommendation for a Netflix original horror that I thought was quite fun, which is The Babysitter. Oh, I love The Babysitter. That's awesome. Yes, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Okay. Didn't, yes. I, didn't that make my top ten last year? I think it did. Oh, yeah, possibly. Yeah, I thought that was just great. Exactly what that sort of film should be like. Yep. Yeah. I think, Nef- I mean, we're doing Netflix down a bit. I mean, their selection isn't that bad for horrors. I'm just having to flick through now and they've got like classics like The Omen is on there. Um, they've got Green Inferno, which I'd recommend. Yeah, uh, that's good. Hugely. I love that. Your Next is on there, which is, again, yep. great. Um, what else have they got here? They've got Bone Tomahawk, Creep, It Follows, From Beyond. Uh, the Wailing, I mean, Carrie is on there. Oh, but- yeah, they, they have got some good stuff, but but there's like 80% of it is dross, though, in their horror section. They do have some sort of flagship titles, but the rest of them, there's a lot of awful, awful I've, stuff. I've stopped, I've stopped watching horrors if they're not rated 18. Yeah, that's that's hard to get an 18 now. Yeah, it's, still, it's, yeah, it's all down to accountants getting that fifteen certificate. Yeah, but you know what I mean, don't you? Like, if it's a fifteen, it's not really going to scare the shit out of you, is it? Um, it can. I mean, some of the like, if you look at old horrors, some of those are pretty creepy. Like, if you look at the nineteen sixty three whatever it is version of uh, the haunting, that's a creepy film. You know, and the innocence again. They're, they're both based, I think, on the turn of the screw. But they're both both of them are pretty creepy, and those are probably a U rating. You know, PG at most, I would think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, modern horrors—they either go for shock value, or they go for the things that Paul detests, which are the made by accountants designed to get sort of fifteen, sixteen-year-old girls to go in groups and scream, and that would be it. Yep. And. Um, they're largely crap. Although I did win you over with the Conjuring films. You did. I yeah. was just thinking about that, and I re- and I watched the second one, and that I was that was properly creepy. I was mm. actually scared. That's, oh, really? That's a, <laughs> yeah, that's a rarity. Yeah, they are both really good films. Although I doubt either of them are on Netflix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
time now then for our triple bill where we are going to tell you about some of the films that we think should have picked up some Oscar nominations but did not um, in round-robin format as we always did with um, triple bill. Um, Owen, why don't you start us off? Okay, I uh, there's a thing about Oscar films, right? They don't give Oscars to horror films. They don't give Oscars to sci-fis. And or for all fun films. Or anything that will be enjoyable and isn't miserable or yeah. I um so I decided what I would do is I'd pick a horror film, I'd pick a sci-fi film, and I've gone for like a classic film that I think should have at least been nominated but um didn't. So I'll start with the horror, seeing as we were just talking about those um, in what we've been watching. It, it was uh, 1980, this film came out. Uh, any guesses? The Thing? W- wasn't The Thing, although that probably should be on the list as well. 80. Oh, it was 81, I think, The Thing, wasn't it? Or was it 80? They Live? No, I don't know. No, it was The Shining. Ah. Yeah. So, I mean, the the, the Academy in general, are pretty snobby, I think, but especially so when it comes to um, to horror films. Although, I mean, Get Out was nominated this year, which is probably more of a thriller anyway than it is outright horror. And, you know, Silence of the Lambs is the one people always point out, which, again, I think is more of like a kind of detective story than an out-and-out horror anyway. Yep. But The Shining uh, didn't even get a nomination in one of the smaller categories. Nothing didn't receive any kind of acknowledgement from the academy and to add insult to injury as well that year um it was uh not only like overlooked for uh, an oscar but it was also nominated for a razzie in 1981 wow the shining was nominated for a razzie how fucking do you know, what, do you know what, what for uh yeah for worst picture <laughs> yeah fucking hell um, I know Stephen King hated it. You know, that's quite common knowledge. People know that, you know, he he said it was nothing like his novel, that Stanley Kubrick had taken his film and just shat all over it. Probably not in those exact terms, but probably with that sentiment. I mean, I haven't, I can't claim to have read the novel, um, but in a way, just like taking the film at, at face value as what it is and not knowing or particularly caring so much about the source material... I think it's almost, almost like the perfect horror film. It's possible Downfall as a horror movie is it's two hours, 20 minutes. And, you know, all the best horrors usually come in at kind of a sharp 90 minutes. But that aside, I don't really, I don't really mind that it's quite long. I, I just love the movie and I haven't always loved it, but, you know, there's a moment where it just kind of connects and you get it and, for me, that was on my second watch of, of The Shining. But yeah, I absolutely love it. I love um, Kubrick's direction. I love the way it looks, which is mostly down to John Alcott's um, cinematography. And I absolutely love Jack Nicholson in it too. I was talking to um, Liam not too long ago about it, and we both sort of agreed, you know, Shelley Duvall is excellent as Wendy Torrance. But we, we differed on Jack. And see, I like how he brought his, like, B-movie scene-chewing background uh, in horror movie genre into The Shining and what he did with Jack. I thought it was... It gave it this unnerving tension. Um, But I think Liam's of the opinion that he was just overacting. But, yeah. Um, But I I thought it was great. And um, 
I didn't find Jack Nicholson annoying in the same way um, Liam did, but I kind of understand why people do. But yeah, I mean, it just gets better every time you watch it, I find. So yeah, so The Shining is my, is my first choice. Do you know what it lost out to in 1981? Oh, God. I don't know. Ordinary People. Wow. Yeah, directed by Robert Redford. It, Ordinary People by Robert Redford also beat The Elephant Man and Raging Bull that year. The Academy. What do they know? What do they know indeed? Okay, Paul, what's your first well, choice? Well, I've gone all the way back to 1949. Um, oh. And an, ooh, mm. and an Ealing film. Want to have a guess? Kind Hearts and Coronets? It is indeed Kind yeah. Hearts and Coronets, where the wonderful um, Dennis Price, he plays this sort of distant relation uh, to the to, to the Duke of uh, Dascoin, mm-hmm. and they they this family wrong his mother. Um, they ostracise her because she she marries a commoner. They're, they're forced into poverty, and um, she, she she dies. Um, and this family won't even grant her last wish, you know, which is to to be buried in the, in the family estate. And so, um, Dennis Price, who plays Louis, goes about murdering all the members of this family, um, which, which, which A, gets him revenge, but B, also means that he gets the dukedom and will become the, uh, the, the duke of wherever it is. Um, but the, the beauty of this is uh, obviously the late, great Sir Alec Guinness plays all eight members <laughs> of the family who get bumped off. And I mean, that sounds just like a pre precursor of uh, Eddie Murphy in, <laughs> in lots of Eddie Murphy films. Kind no, this is although it's <laughs> the problem is because it's, it's kind of billed as a comedy, and I guess in nineteen forty nine it would have, it would have been quite funny. It it's more of a I I find it's more of a a, a very light hearted drama because none of the although he's killing these people, it's all very, you don't really see anything. You know, mm. it's an explosion in the background and then the next thing you cut to the funeral procession. But it's just so clever. And Alec Guinness is absolutely brilliant. And, um, yeah, it didn't get nothing, nada, no, not, not a whiff of a nomination. Mm. Do you know what won in 1949? 49, uh, no. <laughs> it was Hamlet. Picked up uh, best picture, and Laurence Olivier picked up yeah. the uh, the best actor. So yeah, that that's my first pick. Their kind hearts and coronets. But you have both seen it, haven't you? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I say yes. I mean, as in I've seen it. No. Oh, Steve, Steve, seriously, mate, you you got to see it. It's really, really, it's an absolute stone cold classic. Well, from one stone cold classic <laughs> to another, we're going for my first choice, and. Um, you know, Owen mentioned about various types of films that don't win Oscars and, and went for, for a horror. I've gone sci-fi for my first pick. I've gone for arguably the best sci-fi film, and that's Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. Funnily enough, from 1980, um, which Owen's first choice of The Shining was also from, so I missed out mm-hmm. to, the same, to the same lot. And I think both The Shining and Empire Strikes Back are better than um, those ones. Steve? It's, yeah? Empire must have got Oscar nominations. Oh, it did for like minor awards, not for like a proper one. Oh, right. We're not, count, we're <laughs> not counting like, 
we're, we're, I mean, we're not counting the poxy little yeah, like, technical we are. awards. That's the nah. whole point of the, that was nah. the thing. <laughs> nah, did. I'm only counting the big ones. If it, didn't, if it didn't get a nomination for best film, best director, best actor, best actress, best supporting... Did Nally Guinness supporting. get a nom for um, Star Wars? No, not for that one anyway. Okay. He was only a little ghost in this one, wasn't he? Yeah. Would have been a bit of a travesty so, if he did get a nomination for Empire. He, imagine if he got an Oscar for Star Wars. He would have been fuming. He hated it. Uh, almost makes me wish he did now. Yeah, miserable old git. Um, yeah, so I've I've not counted the minor awards really because it just helps my couple of <laughs> Your selection minutes of yeah. my couple of minutes of research. Um, but yeah, why shouldn't a film like this be nominated for an Oscar? It's it's great fun. It's the darkest of the Star Wars films, certainly from the original trilogy. Um, it's it's got the, the huge twist at the end, um, which is you know I why I just want fun films to be nominated for Oscars. Um, well, it did. I think it won one and was nominated in three. <laughs> yeah, but only like the only the only the rubbish ones. Like, I'll tell you which ones it won. Best sound mixing it won. Mm. Doesn't really count, does it? I'm sure the people who did the sound <laughs> mixing probably do. Well, maybe they did, but you know, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. <laughs> they should just scrap those and give them out in the car park after the ceremony. Yeah, mm. like the the warm up acts of WrestleMania that don't actually get shown on TV. <laughs> like the, the couple of fights you have at the beginning that yeah. no one actually sees unless you're there. So yeah, since I've been laughed at the room, that's my first one. Um, <laughs> back to you, Owen. Uh, well, I went for sci-fi with my second choice, and I went for uh, RoboCop from 1987, which I, I guess is probably not an immediately obvious choice. Um, but I think Paul Verhoeven is like the absolute master director at holding up a mirror to society and kind of having it reflect like this kind of grotesque, ultra-violent savageness back in our faces. You know, Tug to Recall and, and Starship Troopers are very celebrated examples of that. But I think Robocop was just fucking vicious in its indictment of 1980s corporate America. You know, it's a society who, rather than fix itself, would rather just find better ways of policing. You know, the fact that profit comes at the expense of your humanity, I think, was fully intentional in um, what Edward Neumeyer and Michael Miner's screenplay was, was trying to do. And in order to make police better, you still had to have morals, but... How do you get human values into a machine? Fuck it, just rip the living soul out of a man. Just forcibly inject his, like, severed limbs and brain into a mechanical body. That'll do. You know, it would be the equivalent these days of going, like, you know, we need to find a way to improve sustainability by making driverless electronic vehicles. But how can we trust these autonomous vehicles to make moral judgments? You know, what if a child or a rabbit runs out in front of it? How is it going to make the difference between the two? Well, let's just get a recently deceased taxi driver and father and just wire his brain into the dashboard. Hey, Bristow, you know, that's kind of what Robocop is. It's just taking the humanity out of people and trying to put it into an autonomous device. And I think Ooh. that it's just like such a clever concept at the basis of it. But also, it's just a fucking like amazing, high concept, ultra violent. Um, 
beast of a film and it, it's just great and it was never going to get nominated because of like how extraordinarily violent has Verhoeven ever got a nomination I have a feeling he did but I'm just going to check that now that you mention it it didn't get one for Soldier of Orange did he I'm not sure it could have been best foreign film or something I've just had a look by the way Paul Verhoeven not a single nomination for anything for the Academy Awards criminal Mm. they'll wait until he croaks it and give him some kind of posthumous gong or something won't they yeah well do you want me to go? Um, yeah, talking go of the um, Academy getting things wrong, um, 1995, one of the best crime films <laughs> ever made. Want to have a guess? 95's Oscars would have been Reservoir Dogs. No, it was It's Heat. Oh, Heat. Michael, Michael mm. Mann's absolutely brilliant crime drama thriller. You've got Pacino. Yeah, also, also one of my picks as well. Ah, oh, so legend, Steve. I'm, I'm really, really, really pleased you picked that because it is such a. It's just that robbery scene at the beginning is just epic, mm. and from then on in, all the performances are great. It's you know it's got a really high IMDb score. It's in the top two fifty. It's up quite high. It's only just outside the top hundred movies. Um, I'd like to know. I wonder what the highest. Um, oh, I guess it might, probably is Empire. Actually, it's probably the highest <laughs> yeah. film on the list without uh, without. Oh no, because that sticking to our actual rules, though, <laughs> no nominations at all. Yeah, I wonder how what the highest um, rated film in that IMDb top one hundred would be without any. What, so, why, why did you pick Keith, Steve? The same reason as you, really. It's just such a good film, especially within its genre. And when you look back at possibly even compare it to some of the other films that were nominated, you think, how has that one just not been not been picked? And it, and it's this kind of thing that, that, you know, should come into their remit. It's not, you know, it's not like it's a, something they, would, they, they wouldn't pick. It's got the right cast, you've got the right director. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, all, all, all the boxes were pretty much, I mean, all right, nobody, there's nobody dying of AIDS or looking after orphans, but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what they needed. They needed some AIDS yeah. and some orphans in heat. <laughs> Do you know what won that year? No. It was um, Forrest Gump and Tom Hanks. Yeah, of course it was. Because it was just, that was the year that um, fucking Pulp Fiction was robbed as well, wasn't it? It, it was a very competitive year, to be fair. But mm. still, not to get anything in any category is criminal. Have you seen it, Owen? Me, yeah, yeah, I've seen it. I do. I love the opening scene. I think it's a little bit downhill from there, but uh, oh, except for the the ending's good as well. I really like the 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 beginning bit and the end bit, but the bit in the middle. It is nearly three hours. Yeah, I need to give it another watch. Actually, there's a. It's the, on Amazon Prime for free at the moment. Yeah, have they just added the director's cut to it, or or some kind of definitive version of Heat? I think I saw go I'm, up on there. Oh, maybe. So it's, like, it, but it's, it was already long. Yeah. Back to you, Owen. Back to me. Yes, we're back to Owen with Owen's third and final choice. So, like I said at the start of the Triple Bill, I was going to pick one sci-fi, I was going to pick one horror, uh, and I was going to pick one classic which should have uh, been, not just nominated, but should have won, I think, for, for um, 1958, and that was Vertigo. Now, I know Paul's frantically jumping up and down saying it was nominated, it was nominated for best sound and best art direction but it wasn't actually nominated in the categories that count to use steve's logic um 
Hang on, you're using the same logic as me in this case, I, so don't say it's my logic because you're doing exactly I, the bloody I same thing. you were a thing. bit quiet when I called Steve out, Owen. Yeah, I was quiet yeah, when you, because so, of uh, yeah. Robocop has also been nominated for two. Oh, for God's sake. Minor. Yeah. But um, yeah, so yeah, don't just say it's my logic <laughs> when quite clearly you've applied it and applied it more than what I have. So according to the Steve clause, it's fine. Um, right. Mm. So Vertigo. Um, I am going to also be the guy who mentions Alfred Hitchcock film when we're talking about Oscar nominees that never were, because you know he's always cited as the example of the the director who's one of the most sort of celebrated um, of all time, but never actually won uh, um, the the big one. Um, but yeah, so Vertigo, which is possibly, maybe with the exception of Psycho, which Psycho is probably his most popular, but I think Vertigo is the the one that is most frequently used as the example of isn't Hitchcock a legend kind of movie. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess as well, Psycho was, well, actually Psycho was nominated for an Oscar, wasn't it? Thinking about it. Um, but yeah, Vertigo, it's a story about Jimmy Stewart as a forcibly semi-retired uh, detective who's scared of heights, hence the name of the film, uh, after he kind of nearly falls to his death chasing a crook across a roof. Um, and his, his kind of obsessive compulsion to control and mould and shape a woman to his own desires. It's, I mean, it's obviously a great film. Well, maybe not obviously, but but it is a great film. Um, but in 1959, it wasn't even nominated for an Oscar. It's top of like the list of of uh, Vertigo. Uh, it tops at the Sight and Sound list, which I know, Paul, you're a huge fan of. Huge fan. Huge, huge fan. It knocked Citizen Kane off the top. Um, but yeah, I mean, an author like as prolific and consistent as as Hitchcock was. To only ever get five nominations in his career for Rebecca, Lifeboat, Spellbound, Rear Window, and then Psycho, as I mentioned earlier. It's just like, it's crazy, really. And Vertigo not getting anywhere near an award. Was ju- it's just, just bonkers. I don't think it was particularly liked at the time. It was one of these that came with like a revisionist period and people look back on it and go, hmm, maybe we made a mistake there because... Do we know why it wasn't? nominated was there any politics at play because of all the things you've mentioned so far yeah that's i i, I would have never believed it wasn't nominated it was apparently <laughs> <laughs> yeah it wasn't hitchcock wasn't nominated i think he did have a bit of a rift with hollywood didn't he there was um not like charlie chaplin levels of rift with hollywood but he he certainly had a fallout um when uh he moved from britain to America and then came back again. Um, so it might have been some politics at play, but to like not even, yeah, I just it just baffles me. It just baffles me how Vertigo is not, like you say, Paul, not one of those films that you would have like in a pub quiz. If someone said to name three Oscar-nominated Hitchcock films, Vertigo would probably have been like on that list. But, yes, and you'd be right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So yeah, no, Vertigo is my final choice. Okay. 2007. Really long police procedural. Anyone want to guess? Uh, 2007? Hmm. Hmm. Nothing's... David Fincher? Zodiac. Yes. Mm. 
his again, best film. I was, I was. It is indeed his best film, but I was shocked that not not a sniff for nomination in any category. Um, you know, and, and look at that cast: Jake Gyllenhaal, Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo, Brian Cox. Mm. That is a stellar cast. It is. It is long, and it is a very, very slow burn. And, spoiler, you don't find out who did it. So <laughs> do you think that? Um, do you think that's what, what done it for the film? They just People just couldn't get over that kind of, that sort of bump in the road right at the end where you just don't find out? Possibly. It's hard to tell with the Academy, though, isn't it? Maybe it was just, you know, they weren't given enough free copies of it or something. Well, they just didn't bother watching it because yeah. you hear of this all the time, don't you? That oh, I just feel, I just filled out the form and I don't actually watch them. Yeah, I think that there is a huge amount of just like giving nominations to the people who've offered them the most stuff, or being the like talk to them the most, or being friendliest with them, or has someone in it that they know. You know, I just think it's uh, a bit of a con the Academy Awards, but. Yeah. yeah but- do you know? Um, do you know what won in two thousand and seven? Uh, two thousand and seven. No country for old men. No, it was the best picture. Was the Departed? Oh, okay. Uh, and the the best actor one is a, is is a real zinger. It was uh, Forrest Whitaker. What What did he win in two thousand? Um, Last King of Scotland. Oh, there yeah, you go. Of course. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> that is a real. That's a great quiz question. That is because I. Forest Whitaker, I'd completely forgotten about that. Yeah. Mm. Well, but I'm dying to know what your one is, Steve. The Good, the Bad and the Ugly. Ah, not a, nothing, nada. Not a single nomination for any Oscar, so qualifies in Steve's reasoning, Owen's reasoning and Paul's reasoning of the this uh, criteria for this, you know, for this triple bill. Mm. Um, the the uh, Western... Um, starring um, Clint Eastwood and uh, directed by Sergio Leone and possibly the best Western. Ooh. Not the hotel, the... Um... <laughs> hmm. Not the budget hotel, but the best no. best of the genre. I would... Do yeah. Westerns get a lot of love from the Academy? I'm trying to think. I mean, The Searchers was almost on my list because that should have uh, won. But... No, I think throughout history, Western, because I, I, you know, to put my um, film snob hat on for a minute, because I wrote a thesis about Westerns specifically, I think they would just... Oh, here we go, Paul, yeah. to switch off for a bit. <laughs> yeah. I think they were just seen like how we view superhero movies these days at the time. They were just constantly everywhere. It was, they saturated the market and people were mostly sick of them. It's why you have things like revisionist westerns that came out in the 60s, uh, well, even earlier, 50s. And, you know, spaghetti westerns came out of that where they, particularly like Sergio Leone's spaghetti westerns, his, you know, Man With No Name or Dollars trilogy, just completely changed how people saw the western genre and possibly wasn't nominated because it was not seen as a proper movie. By the Academy. Because you think when it came out, 1968, the Hayes Code had only kind of just been broken. And it was like, ugh, we're not going anywhere near a fucking spaghetti western. Something made in Italy? I don't think so. Or Spain? No way. It's just like it was a bit snobby about them. 
So it's bloody good though, wasn't it? Fucking excellent movie, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I came to it quite late. I watched it probably about halfway through us doing failed critics, mm. um, and bought the box set, and it's just fantastic. It's just, it's just great. Um, you know, Clint Eastwood is brilliant in it. It's kind of what you a lot of people really know him for is westerns, and he's probably so much more than that. Especially now he does a bit of directing as well. But there are. Yeah. I've just looked up. There are four westerns that have won the best picture. Ooh. Do you know any of them? Toy Story isn't a western. Even no, though the that, main that character isn't. is a cowboy. Three of them are modern. Modern westerns that have won. Wild Wild West. But <laughs> <laughs> <Shut, laughs> no, that would be great if it had, wouldn't it? Are we um, talking? No Country for Old Men. Yeah. See, that's like neo western. Mm. Unforgiven. That is a proper western. Yeah. Uh, Dances with Wolves. Yeah. And then all the way back to 1931, something called uh, Cimarron. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would have said The Virginian, but I couldn't remember whether it... When when did the Oscars start? Was that 1924 or 25 or something like that? Uh, 20... I think it's 28. Oh, uh, okay. I think The Virginian was 27, which would explain it. Yeah, and it was probably nominated for, like, Best Hair. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't really be picked, can it, Paul? Yeah. No. <laughs> well, I, I literally, when I got the 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 the, uh, the brief for what we were doing, I just literally just followed the rules. <laughs> no, yeah. not on the sofa. <laughs> there didn't seem to be any wiggle, wiggle room, but that made it more fun. It was it was it was good researching stuff and coming up, you know, and looking up stuff to, to, that literally got nothing. Yeah, no I mean, I've, I've learned something from this podcast. I didn't realise he had no nominations for anything. Mm. But yeah, them, um, yeah. so uh, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly is the highest one on the IMDb Top 250 at number nine. We've learned uh, something else as well. Been mm. nominated. That's a good quiz the, question, isn't it? I mean, obviously, the, the, the Shawshank Redemption is number one. The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2 uh, are two and three. Uh, Dark Knight is number four. Which I assume would have had one. I didn't have a pos- didn't have a posthumous one for uh, Heath Ledger. No, that wasn't the Dark Knight, was it? Yeah, Heath Ledger got. In, was he nominated as Best Actor? Wasn't that the year they extended the Oscars as well? Mm. Number five was Twelve Angry Men, um, which, which I'm not sure if that had an Oscar nomination or not. Let's have a quick look. Twelve Angry Men. Um, yes. Uh, Sydney Lumet's film. I think it probably did. Let's have a look quickly, and this will all be edited out, obviously. Uh, initial response... You say that. I mean, we are 284 episodes into the Foul Critics podcast, and I'm not sure if I can be bothered to edit everything out there. Yeah. Nominate, <laughs> nominated for, Acad- uh, for Academy Awards in Best Director, so that one's fine. Uh, Schindler's List, Pulp Fiction. Would Pulp Fiction have got any? Eight, yeah. Eight... eight Eight's Lord of the Rings, and that probably got a million in the technical categories at least. If it didn't get Best Picture, it definitely got Best Hair. <laughs> Return of the King was the only one that got Best Picture, wasn't it? Of the three, the others. Um, yeah. So yeah, so um, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly must be the highest one then on that um, on that list. Top research, there, Steve. Well done. Yeah, live research as well. <laughs> um, so there we go. That was uh, this. Failed Critics Podcast. You don't want, you don't, we're not doing a recommendation. Yeah, I've got a recommendation. Yeah. Oh, right. I didn't even plan that. Go on and recommend something. I have been watching uh, a TV show, a comedy. Um, it's just started its third season. It's called The Detour. 
Um, okay. Jason Jones and um, oh god, what's her name? Uh, oh, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's um, basically about a, a, a couple who go on a on a on a road trip, effectively, and get detoured. Um, and it is just completely out there. It takes that the kind of the sitcom model, but it's just gross and disgusting. I saw, you know, a magician pull a playing card out of his ass and a guy ending up with eye gonorrhea. And then in the next episode, he's in, he's like in a birthing pool and he screams out, Oh my God, I'm fishing for clit rings as he's, it's just so gross, but it is absolutely hilarious. I can't recommend it enough. It is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It seems like they tailor made that for you, Paul. They did. They (laughs) literally did. (laughs) Uh, Well, I was going to just recommend something that sounds quite tame by comparison, but I was going to say Deadpool has been added to Netflix, which, um, you know, was quite vulgar, but by by the sounds of it, probably not that vulgar if you compare the two. But it's very good. It's a lot of fun. There we go. Well, that's... uh... That's us all done then. Um, but thank you all for listening. And we will probably be back at some point this year with a few more Failed Critics. The Failed Critics podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes with contributions from different guests every week with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com from the track The Bandit remixed by James Yule who you can find at jamesyule.com You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Failed Critics on iTunes and all good podcast apps or you can check us out at failedcritics.com If you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or a review and why not check out our sister podcasts Character Unlock and Field and Mullinger's Underground Nights from the failed media network of podcasts. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.